Welcome to the Innovation Conversation, a podcast about innovators, both in business and real life. Hosted by myself, Ricardo Pesqual, and Harry McDonough. Today's episode is sponsored by Hyperskill. Hyperskill is a learning and training platform that enables people from all over the world to learn new tech skills. If you're looking to learn new tech skills, this is a platform to choose. You can find out more about them on hyperskill.org. Today we are talking with Thomas Vosper, founder of Tree. That's A3.co. He's also the founder of the Startup Lounge and a writer who recently launched Historic Pub Crawls. Thomas, welcome to the Innovation Conversation. It's a pleasure having you here. Me and Harry are both very um, excited to have you here and also very interested in your profile because you have quite a lot of stuff going on. So you want to tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and everything that's happening. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. Pleasure. Um, so I, I'm an old e-com veteran, right? I started back at Amazon maybe mm-hmm. 16, 17 years ago when there was just six of us on what was called merchant services. So launching all those categories that we take for granted that exist, um, all of the services like ads, checkout, and also their fulfillment logistics service. So I spent a, a good number of years there where I kind of cut my teeth in e-com and marketplaces. And uh, after a short stint at Tesco, trying to do something similar, I moved into startups where I was first of all an employee of uh, like a price comparison style site, um, uh, which unfortunately um, folded two weeks before the country went into lockdown for the first time at the start of COVID. Mm-hmm. And so that was the catalyst for me to start this journey as a first time founder. Mm-hmm. And I, I founded Isle 3 with, uh, with my friend. And for the last three and a half years, we've been running uh, what really is a deep tech AI business, but mm-hmm. looks like a really cool place to sell sneakers with a pretty cool large following on, on TikTok and social now. Interesting. So, so what exactly is Tree? How, how would you define it um, even to a more le- a higher level of detail to, to the audience? Yes, yeah, so at a very basic level, mm-hmm. uh, what attracted me the most about Amazon was their idea to create this single detail page. We all know what that looks like. You see the product, and then you see the buy box, mm-hmm. and then you see the, this is sold by a whole bunch of different merchants. It's really hard to plug your information if you're a retailer into that system so that that is accurate. And you'll see it already now, right? If you look at Amazon, there's lots of duplicates. And this is amplified when you go onto Google and you search because they want to charge as many advertisers as possible. So that exact pair of Nike blazers that you want to look at, they appear 10 times across the top, (laughs) right? And then you right click and you open up another tab to go and click on that site and you find they're not even in your size anyway or it takes you to a category page or something else. That's so broken for both the shopper and also broken for the retailer and the advertiser that we wanted to fix that. And fundamentally, if we move away from the commercials, the thing that was hardest about that is that every product that you load up when you're selling a product, you are providing a barcode number. So the little numbers you see under a barcode that you're super familiar with when you walk around a supermarket, those are super, super unreliable when it is a pair of sneakers or if it's a stapler or it's a, even a power drill. And so we okay. wanted to build something that basically understood all of that information 
and then aggregated it into that single detail page under a checkout without you ever needing to leave our site so you could buy this three different things from three different retailers having seen all of the different prices and got the best deals. And we started with sneakers and spoiler alert, like we can do that, right? We can, we <laughs> yeah. can do that. Today, right now, you can go into aisle three and you can see a whole bunch of retailers all aggregated under one page and none of them even know that they're on there. Well, how, how do you make your money then? I mean, you get a commission out of Because if they don't know they're on there, how, how do you monetize the, yeah, the whole idea? So as, as, a, as a longer term uh, vision around the business, there's definitely ways that we make money paid on performance. Mm -hmm. okay. But uh, like fundamentally, we made a decision as a funded pre-revenue startup, can we even actually solve this problem? Because mm -hmm. Amazon's got over 100 data scientists looking at it. Google hasn't figured it out or doesn't want to figure it out because of how they monetize. Yeah. And there are a whole bunch of other players in the space that uh, still haven't seemed to crack it. How can we as a little startup with you know a million quid's worth of funding and a team that has been remote from day one, including built like a decent sized business that we mm -hmm. built in India. How do they crack something that no one else has been able to crack? So before I start worrying about all of the commercials <laughs> and yeah. everything around running the business, fundamentally, is it even possible? I guess it goes down to competition as well at the end of the day. If you've got everybody shown on one site, how do you differentiate between this person selling this item and there's another person selling the exact same item? Because if you go back to Amazon, they have a feature called buy boxes don't they where mm -hmm. everyone pretty much if you're not aware of it is essentially everyone competes for the lowest item so when you buy an item or go into the checkout page you're automatically thrown up with you want to buy this why not buy this and it's always some really cheap item very other process or an offer that's on there but everyone tries to undercut it and I know with buy boxes it's always the lowest price with the best reviews and recommendations always seems to win once they get on there as a buy box supplier they can then start upping their prices slightly so it's be quite interesting to see how you kind of differentiate between competitors and help others out that way. I've been having conversations about how you win the buy box from like way back 17 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I know how important that is, but fundamentally that's really toxic for brands and retailers because you know most of the time if you think about what if you think about the last thing you bought on Amazon, we're amongst friends, we all know that we shop on Amazon for certain oh, yeah, all things, the time. Right? Literally, all the time, right? Probably sure, everything. you're not gonna buy your fashion there or your shoes there, but you know, you need a little cable to charge something you probably buy on Amazon. Do you have any idea who you buy from? True. Um I have no idea actually. No. Like Right? Like most of the like you don't know. And so our vision was one, can you provide that level of choice, but at the same time, can you do that so that you're actually elevating all of the businesses that also appear on the site, making it easy for them to integrate and also for them to then do their own brand building elsewhere and the top of the funnel advertising so you have brand awareness and it's quite clear who a product is, is being sold by, right? Because you know, a rising tide is gonna lift all ships. Yeah, but there's, there's always an element of trust, isn't it? Because like, every time I buy something off Amazon, and it's something very normal. Let's say the, the stand's holding the, the cameras right now. I always look at the reviews, but I know some of them will be paid for. And I'm not really sure if I can trust them or not. So what ends up being the, the, key, the key element for my decision is, can I return this? Because I got Prime, I normally actually return things if they don't work as, as they should. But that's always the, the big issue is, can I trust this company? And if 
The company doesn't have a, our, their own identity. It's a very strong brand. It's very hard to trust them. Well, that's probably the missing opportunity now that mm-hmm. I think so many brands and retailers and also platforms are sleeping on, right? We're not really investing. People aren't really investing in B2C, like e-com, fintech, really customer-facing. Whereas actually that's, that's so broken at the moment, mm-hmm. we almost have come to accept the fact that the reviews on Amazon are either fraudulent or they are incentivized or you know if you go and look up like a Bic Biro pretty funny right <laughs> with a lot of comedians and that's fine right once Veet hair removal cream was one of the top selling items in Amazon with a massive <laughs> spike because of the reviews go and check it out they are hilarious but that's those? not really like you know a, Really, what you want is a vote from a friend because that's worth a thousand of these anonymous reviews. Yeah, that's very so true. Friends yeah. advertising. Exactly, and where's the facility to do that? Uh, there's a couple of companies out there yeah. called uh, MVPR. So they used to be uh, a University of Essex spin-up, raise around half a million, and they do a similar approach through social media channels where it's literally instead of you putting a like or a share, it's your friend does it, they get some reward for recommending you, giving you reviews over areas. So if MVPR are listening, yeah, we're just giving you a little shout that's out. That's a nice shout, but that's really yeah. sad that I've been in Econ for years and I've never heard of them and they raised half a million quid. Why, why isn't this something that's really championed out of the UK? If it's spun out of a university, we should be absolutely championing that type of innovation. I know where you're going and I actually want to go there. So tell us <laughs> about the Startup Lounge because you actually have a lot to tell our audience because you raised 1.2, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a very, very good number here for, for, for your UK ecosystem. So how do you get there? What can you tell us about that? And I mean, Tips and tricks for the audience, really. Sure. It's, it's a lot of questions all well, the same no, time. No, it, it's, <laughs> it's certainly a scary journey, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a first-time founder, founded the company. I was 40 mm-hmm. when I founded the company for the first time three and a half years ago. It's a really scary journey to be on. I haven't served a term as an analyst at a VC. I don't have a bunch of very super rich mates that were able to like, help me incubate an idea. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it, we started it at a time when there were... No jobs. Mm-hmm. Like COVID, right? It was COVID, right? Like it was lo- super, lockdown. Super, everyone was, yeah. super hard time. And, and of course, you know, throughout the course of three and a half years, the uh, roller coaster of emotions and situations that you find yourself is, is the, really the reason why I started up Startup Lounge, why I created that with my business partner, to be able to help guide other founders and businesses through some pretty choppy times. Mm-hmm. And it's not exactly easier right now. Right, you know, it's really, really tough to raise money. It's tough economic climate. There's a lot of self-fulfilling prophecies of talking (laughs) about how doom and gloom is the whole time. Whereas actually, you know, this really should be the time to like, if you can, like squeeze your foot down on the accelerator a little bit more, like get your head above the parapet, try something new, try an experiment, but also back good companies. That makes sense because usually most individuals they. As you said, they'll have a look at a company based on its brand or, let's say, product image. And they'll say, oh, everyone's investing. Let me throw 100K into you or let me throw a couple million. And now, I guess in some sense, the last three years have been a blessing because all these saturated companies like hmm. Zoom or all the big individuals suddenly raise billions and billions, even though they're not, they're not actually making that much money. They've now come crashing down to earth to say, hey, you can't live off free money all your life. We can't keep on plowing all this cash into you because eventually... 
you're not going to be able self-sustaining. Where's the revenue? Where's the yeah. return on the investment? And it's, it's good in, in that regard, but it's also bad because now it's, as you said, it's become very, very difficult. And how do you go on that side? Yeah, I, I'm glad you've, you've said that. I think it's really toxic at the moment. I think that there will be so many good companies right now that will struggle to raise or will, will fold or will disappear, not because of anything they have done, but because of the failure of others to execute. And that's yep. really, really toxic for innovation in the UK. It's so, like, I understand that there is a narrative that free money was around. I understand how difficult it was when all of those companies shelved 20% of their staff and then still seemed to do as well as or better than they were before. Mm -hmm. They are important lessons, but they're also not really lessons that you can learn when you're kind of battling in the trenches as that really early stage startup. And like, if you are a university spin out coming up with something that's pretty innovative, pretty new, well, like the idea, even the vague notion that you might find it hard to raise sufficient capital for you to execute on your product because someone else has invented an equivalent of Google Hangouts, which is shitter, raises loads and loads of money, and now they live it off secondaries in Monaco whilst they sell the business for peanuts. Yeah. It's it's criminal to all of those companies. I've got a question though, I know I've got to jump in on that, but you keep on referring back to the UK. Mm-hmm. Do you mean London? Or the whole UK as a whole is very difficult to raise funds? Um, uh, that's a great question. I feel that the whole of UK is difficult. There are some incentives where there are local programs or there are VCs or investors that focus in particular areas and they should continue to do that. Um, Of course, there are pros and cons for that, right? Because innovation should be innovation. It shouldn't matter. It's a really difficult conversation to have with someone who looks like a white tech bro who's literally the definition of being a, a tech startup founder. Like there's definitely not enough money that goes into minority founders. There's definitely not enough money that goes into female founders. Yep. But at the same time, good businesses need funding regardless of who's in charge. And it's really hard to like over-index who you look for and who you support. And that goes into regions as well. So I think when you go to the region side, it, it comes down to the education, where the jobs are, where do you actually go on that side. So for instance, if I was to go to Essex, there's a lot of potential there, but because it's such a broad region, it makes it near impossible to really point, pinpoint where do I go. And that's why a lot of people go to down the, the university routes or the accelerator routes or the LEPs, which are now going to be pretty much disappearing in the next year and a half, which was quite a good incentive by the government. But then I could say the same for Bristol, I could say the same about Cambridge, very remote regions, but there's not a huge amount of populate, or population that's educated to go down that startup route and really know how to you know, work that funding process. Whereas everyone's so fixated on London, especially in FinTech, SaaS, that there's so much competition here because everyone wants to come here that it's near impossible to really raise. Yeah, I think it goes into a few things. So I think we're talking about a few different things here. One, when you're building a startup, does it really matter where you build that startup? You know, we we created an entire subsidiary business in India so that we could hire employees on another continent 
directly into a company as employees, not as contractors, not as freelancers, as actual employees linked to our organization. Was that, was that a hard thing to do? Yes, fucking impossible <laughs> thing to do. Because <laughs> most people just hire contractors in India, so mm-hmm. actually setting up your own company must mm-hmm. be, is it com- complicated? It's massively complicated. In this country, you can pay £13 to register your company on company's yeah, exactly. house, and you're a director. And immediately you start getting stuff through the post, telling mm-hmm. you that you can open a bank account, and we can be your assistants or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And you're on a mailing list. Yeah. And then you can set up a virtual address somewhere, and then you don't even need to worry about those getting sent to you anymore. Yeah. In India, we did this because we were worried about um, the team being freelancers going through like COVID without paying their taxes, having any government protection, right? We wanted to set up a proper organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in India, there's not quite the same level of, um, it's not quite the same sort of maturity of freelancing market as maybe there are in other countries. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you've got like the big multinational corporations like gobbling up talent or in like Hyderabad or Mumbai, yeah. it's, you know, you need to kind of put yourself at least like optically on a similar footing. When we set up the business, you had to go, like, so I personally had to take uh, 18 different documents and take them all to a solicitor to be notarized to prove that it was me that had signed them. And then I had to take those documents okay. to the foreign office mm-hmm. for something called a, a, a postal. It's basically they're legally verified. And then I put all of them into a plastic FedEx envelope and mm-hmm. shipped two and a half, three thousand pounds worth of documents <laughs> to India mm-hmm. right in the middle of the second wave of COVID. <laughs> Knowing that if they just disappeared, I would have to repeat the whole process again. Oh, wow. So it's a super, super difficult process, right? But it does go back to that point Mm -hmm. that, you know, when you talk about different locations, well, there's lots of different elements there's lots of different factors like one is where do you build your business we were always remote that was just the way that it was right Mm -hmm. you know like the country literally went into lockdown two weeks after we we started the company i can imagine the 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 pressure right because that's not a good moment to open a company it is and it isn't but the pressure must have been on must have been crazy well like my co-founder you know we have uh we have partners and mortgages and Mm -hmm. children it's a really difficult time to think about starting a business and as a first time founder that's incredibly scary and intimidating we didn't have like three years to plan we didn't sit down with our partners and say hey i'd really like to do this Mm -hmm. let's let's plan for being able to pay the mortgage for six months and then work our way through that now there were also some unwritten benefits of COVID, as difficult as that is to talk about, because it was obviously a terrible time for lots of people. Going yeah. into the startup loans, but well, not the startup um, loans, the uh, the bounce back loans, wasn't it? No, well, you don't do, you don't get that with a new business, right? There was certainly a lot of businesses that were probably on their way to being dead that did survive from bounce back loans, which mm-hmm. hopefully one day they'll pay back. Um, but <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope so. Um, but for us, you know, like on a personal level, I was able to contact my bank and not pay my mortgage oh. for like three months without yep. a black mark or, or anything. That, that makes a huge right. difference. So it made a big difference for me in a time where like halfway through the month, I'd been given a WhatsApp saying you're not going to get paid this month, even for the time you've worked. Oh. And then you're going to what start something new, which you don't have a salary for because you 
just, just like new, you just started it from nothing. You've gone from like mm-hmm. zero to 0.1, like immediately, right? Not quite there to zero to one, right? So what was the voice inside your head at the moment? Because <clears throat> we had, we had Chris from, from Get Ahead Mindset, he's a bit of a sportsman. He, he goes on these triathlons and Ironmans and whatnot. And he was always, okay, the why was very important. So what was your why at that moment? Um, well, one of one of the whys, or yeah, there was a there was an element of circumstance where mm-hmm. we were like as individuals, me and my co-founder. You know, we knew each other from the last organization. We we were enamored with trying to change ecom. We fundamentally looked at it very differently than other people and, and we weren't ready to accept that. And believe me, we look at it very differently to other people. I have been on investor calls where an investor goes, types in Peppa Pig on Google and goes, I can see Peppa Pig at the top, therefore there's nothing wrong with Google or <laughs> online shopping whatsoever. It's literally the most moronic investor com- comment I've ever, ever, ever heard. So it was British then? Uh, yeah. Because we were looking for Peppa Pig, I mean. Yes, it was a famous, <coughs> it was a famous uh, high conviction UK VC oh, that invests at pre-seed. <laughs> Zero ability to think outside the box. Interesting. Uh, but for us, that was what kind of drove us. And then, you know, then there was the victim of circumstance. You know, there was no, there, it seems like it was such a long time ago. But remember, people were hugging their friends in the office on Friday mm-hmm. and then going out for some drinks because that was when we used to go into an office Monday to Friday. Yep. And they were saying, really nice to work with you. Take care. See you later. And taking their box of stuff from their desk, ready to start their new job on Monday, only to get like a phone call over the weekend saying, sorry, we've got a hiring freeze on now, guys. And you're not actually starting on Monday. Sorry. Yeah. Right? And that shit happened like all of the time. Like we kind of forget that that's what happened. Especially with Coinbase. That was a big example recently. Okay. Well. <laughs> no, but COVID, I remember. Sur- surprise yeah, me with crypto doing something that might not be dodgy or... Uh, <laughs> Not very nice at a human level. <laughs> yeah, crypto is always a right. miss, yeah. So, so the thing that kind of motivated us, one, there was that inherent fire within me and my co-founder as, as individuals mm-hmm. to meet those challenges head on. And, and that's what I've done throughout the three and a half years that we've run the business because we talk about fundraising. And like statistically, most businesses don't fundraise. I mean, it's... If you think of the times that you've seen someone uh, on a job update on LinkedIn saying they've mm-hmm. just started a new job, right? And yeah. everyone's passing and congratulates. Well done, you're new, now the new founder of this business. Congrats, really support you, that's great. And then three months later, you see another job update and they've got a proper job <laughs> working with someone. <laughs> and that thing, whatever it was that they started, that doesn't exist anymore. Like, doesn't, you can't even see yeah. it. They don't even show it on their LinkedIn that they even kind of gave that a go. They just fill in the gaps, right, with the months, mm-hmm. right? We were we were very determined that we would get past like that the zero three months, yeah. and then we would get to one. But that's that's the thing, isn't it? I think as society we should actually reward people who go out and try and do their own business. Because if I'm having that person working for me, I'll know they'll actually take into consideration a lot more than what their job spec asks for. Right, because they, they've 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 ran their own business, they thought about all the things going on, and they become much better employees afterwards. At least that's what I think. I, I agree. At the times where we have been at like 
our darkest or our worst or our toughest, there's always been someone that can tap you on the shoulder and say, oh, but think of all the stuff that you learn. And I get that. It's still really fucking nice to have some yeah. money and it to is, stop yeah, having exactly. some stress. Of course, yeah. Right? And all of the things like, you know, that you can have when you have uh, a lot more security than you have running a startup. But you are exactly right. People who run startups always have seven or eight plates spinning in the air. And, and sometimes, mm-hmm. when I talk to the founders and leadership teams that I support through Startup Lounge, which is our, our vehicle to take my experience to do that, when I talk to those founders, you know, the questions that I ask them are like, which plate do you need some help spinning? Or which plate do you just don't want to fucking deal with anymore? Like, do you want, just, which one do you want me to take away from you yeah. and smash and you don't need to deal with it? Or take it away from you and take care of it and look after it? But that's kind of how you have to think. But you're quite right. You know, we, I'm flabbergasted at just how garbage the whole recruitment industry seems to be at the moment in the UK. I don't know where the innovation is in that. You know, the fact that there are so, like, there are so many jobs that have hundreds of applicants that we all know will never even hear from anyone that they've applied or they'll get a message that says, if we haven't come back to you in six weeks, assume it's a no. Like me and my co-founder personally went through like a thousand people mm-hmm. to hire a very core team of six PhDs to build what we built. And that was the level of care and attention that we had. And even the candidates that we passed on still message us from time to time just to say hi and see how things are going as they're interest mm-hmm. because you treat people with respect. So instantly when you run a startup, you have to become the best recruiter, you have to be the best human resources person as well, mm-hmm. that you have to be able to handle legals, you have to be able to handle the operations of a business. Obviously you've got to be commercially minded because you're spending every money like it's your own because you know we started the business when I put in the 25 grand director's loan because you mentioned some of the things mm-hmm. we have I took out a virgin startup loan that was like the, the catalyst for the business yeah. was a personal loan in my own name when I didn't have a job to go and start something that we didn't even think technically would be vaguely possible to do but let's see it's it's a vision isn't it or the ability to dream big I think that's 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 from all the people we can interview here, I think that's kind of when we know they're going to go somewhere, is when they have that vision, say, actually, I think we can go there, and then just go out and do it. And they don't know exactly how they will get there, but they know they're going to get there one way, shape, or form. They're just going to go on that journey, right? But it's, 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 it's a hard journey. It's, Maybe. It takes a lot of guts and Maybe. courage. You need, the, you need the capital, and you, you need, need to the be capital, able to yeah. execute as you go. And it's, it's all very well dreaming big, but you need that support, whether that's a support network around mm-hmm. you where that's a supportive team who buy into your vision but you know like the world is full of ideas the world is not full of people with ideas that are well backed mm-hmm. that can execute and have got the fucking resilience to get their way to the end right it just isn't again I mentioned I look like a proper tech bro tech founder like I get it I'm also covered in tattoos and bangles, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the amount of people that will be my age, mid-40s, that will say to me, I love your tattoos, I've always thought about getting a tattoo. <laughs> right? Okay, how many tattoos have you got? None. Like, do you know how easy it is to get a tattoo? Like, even if you're on holiday with your mates and you're drunk you just and you're like 19, you, you didn't even get one then. Like, you don't want to get one now. Like, your kids will be more, mm-hmm. you'll be like, married. Or what? Like, anything. There isn't anything you didn't... 
you, you can walk into a tattooist now, drop 50 quid, and they'll put something on your body, and no one ever needs to know or see it, right? <laughs> and so there are lots of ideas, but we've got to find a balance in taking those ideas and saying, well, we've got, what we've got to reward mm -hmm. is the resilience, because most startups pivot, yeah. that's just the way they are, right? There's lots of bumpy, bumpy roads around. Like, it's very, very difficult. You have to have the resilience to go through that. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be able to be smart enough to execute. And you need to do that with capital. You need to be given enough to go and True. give yourself time to plan and then get past and smash through some of those boundaries. So how do you get to 1.2 million? Because that's a really high number for the UK. Uh, it's a really interesting number, but hmm. short for short because. Um, did you go like inside of the UK for investors? Did you go outside of the UK? How do you meet them? Do you go networking? There's like a million questions around this. Yeah, like there is. There is, and, and you know that number in itself is quite <coughs> interesting because when I speak to some of my friends in the US, mm -hmm. as I've travelled quite a lot during my my time running the business, you know. Like, 1.2 million isn't even like a pre-seed round over there. Yeah, right? it's nothing, like, yeah. Like, yet for us, 1.2 million was something that I suppose has never really been in a round, mm -hmm. right? We we invested early, as scary as it was, in some really robust legal docs that we knew would get us to Series A. And we have always been able to raise little and often, whether it's from privates or whether it's from VCs, because... Mm -hmm we set up the business properly. And I don't know whether that was because we're a little bit older or, you know, or maybe we're just a little bit more thorough, who knows. But we set it up in a process that we're able to take in the 1.2 little and often, mm -hmm. whereas that number just isn't even registered in like the US, for example. Yeah, it's nothing, it's just the beginning, right? Yeah, and I, and I had no network, but um, I suppose that's not strictly true. And I don't want to let like, you know, the truth getting away of a good mm. story. It was <laughs> super difficult for us to, like I took 600 meetings with investors to raise one oh, of wow. our rounds, right? It was just an insane amount. It was literally working like all the time, which is again, one of the reasons I like to try and help founders get around the fundraising process because, you know, out of those 600 meetings, some of them were second, third, fourth, fifth meetings that, you know what, they were out. Like I could tell you now, <laughs> they were out on the first ever, like in the first 10 minutes they were out, yeah. so terminate the call. So how could you tell they were straight out? What was the, what was the telltale signs? Just hand on the head, not really caring? Uh, no, so, so I, I would, um, Pepe I would Pig. give this. Was it Pepper Pig when they started looking for? Uh, that guy was definitely out. <laughs> yeah, that was that was embarrassing that we continued the conversation for another thirty minutes. Um, so we've, we've I, all been there. I, I, I would say there is one <laughs> really big lesson that every founder should um, should take on board when they talk to another when they talk to an investor for the first time, and it depends on where they are on their fundraising journey. But most rounds, you need what you call a lead investor. That is someone that says, I will put in at least half of the money and therefore I'm gonna be the person that is going to make sure that your legals are fine, shareholders are gonna be protected, it's a reasonably good plan, you're not taking a piss with the valuation. Hmm. Right? And so if you need a lead and you don't have a lead, I'm afraid, being brutal, none of the other conversations matter. They just don't. If you come onto a call and you say to that, can I ask, right, what's, 
I think I know because I've done some research, but just confirm what category do you invest in? Typically, what's your check size? Mm -hmm. Do you lead or do you follow? And if the answer to that last question is we follow, then you go, okay, no problem. I don't have a lead right now. I've got your email address. Let me just keep you updated with stuff. But really, there's no point having a conversation here because you've already told me you can't judge my valuation. You probably can't judge my business plan. Mm -hmm. You can't judge how we're going to execute and you're not going to assess my legals. So there's just no point. Let's just have a conversation when you've had three months of updates from me mm -hmm. and I come back to you and I go, those really famous guys or girls, that mm -hmm. big famous fund, they're actually going to put in half the money now. Are you, are you in? Because it'd be a lot easier conversation there and a lot better use of your time killing that call earlier yeah. and then just updating them and then actually getting back in the business. But that takes vision, right? It takes, it takes uh, experience. It takes age as well. It does take experience. And I didn't have yeah. that as a very green founder. I didn't do any of that. I mm. took all those calls. No problem. I'll carry on. You tell me that you tell me that because you put in Peppa Pig and you see some images of Peppa Pig that like Google is the best place for you mm. to ever do product so search and comparison, right? Was that an angel investor? That was a VC. So... How did you get your first bit of cash? Because then you would have needed some bootstrapping or some sort of early stage startup to prove concept and build your MVP before really going straight to the VCs, or did you go straight to VCs, well, which is near? You know, we, touch we, we had a you know we got a really credible blue chip of CV right between me and my co-founder, mm -hmm. and so when you look at a guy who's had that you know like the turnover at Amazon is like eighteen months, right? I lasted like nearly seven years there, right? Six and a half years it was a long time. Um, and then and then time at Tesco as well, trying to build their marketplace, and also sitting within a startup, so doing the kind of scrappy stuff mm -hmm. as well. So that opened a surprising amount of doors, which I wish that in hindsight we hadn't even thought about opening. Right? We should have gone to those a lot later. Going back to that kind of do you lead or do you follow question, like you often only get one shot, and so better to get that one shot when it's relevant mm -hmm. for you. So we didn't have a problem finding like the VCs that would open doors to us, but certainly angels were hard. Um, we we got some really good coverage with Angel Investment Network. There are lots of different like networks and angel groups out there. Some are paid, some are free to join, some ask you for stupid amounts of money to do their own DD on you, steer well clear of those, mm -hmm. you know, steer clear of the people that I saw which would one is £6,000 a month as a technology investor to help support us access their network, even though I spent the entire time of the call looking up their nose because they couldn't work out how to use a video call. Like, Six, sorry, £6,000. It was fine because they said if they didn't find us any investor money after three months that they could, they would, uh, we would be able to terminate the engagement. That's like, what the six thanks, grand. thanks very much for <laughs> oh, that. Oh, well, 18, them, yeah. 18 grand later. Uh, <coughs> okay. we, also, we also saw someone who wanted a stupid amount of money to, to help advise us and... Um, I'm pretty sure they were in a box room at home that they lived in with their mom because, like, the mom like knocked on the door and said, "Hello, dear, would you like a cup of tea?" <laughs> Which again, like, I mock it, but these are things that, like, you don't because as a founder, especially if you don't have that network and you've not spoken to investors before, it's really one-sided, like that power arrangement, and so. Again, that, that's where that kind of like lead and follow, where you need to go, like, well, actually, okay, look, it's not, it's not you, like, it's me. Yeah. Like, you've told me that this is what you like. I'm telling you now 
that isn't me right now. In which case, I really don't want to take any more of your time up. Then you carry on and move on, yeah. Because I'm not right for you right now. I can tell you I'm not right. So I just, it's not, what. let me let me do this and then I'll come back to you when it's, it's right. It's a bit like dating, isn't it? Because when you, when you go out, you know, the first time you go out dating, you know, out in the market again, you find it very, very hard to say no, right? But I think both for guys and, and girls, it's like, oh, okay, let's see how this kind of goes. Maybe it turn out to be very, very nice in the end. And then after a while, you say, you know what? I'm not feeling this. I'm not going to waste my, my time with you. So let's move on. And everyone's kind of happy. And they, yeah, they will appreciate the honesty. You get your time back. Everyone's happy. I've been married for 15 years. So it's so been a long, <laughs> long time since I, since I had those kind of problems. But at the same time, uh, when me and my wife met each other, we were in our late 20s. So, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of process of like feeling each other out, yeah. like kind of living together, you know, that, that, that shortens considerably because you do know what you want a little bit more. Exactly. And, and I guess, you know, it's a second, third, fourth time founder. I, you know, I would always know now um, how to spend my time a lot more efficiently. And that's stuff that I try and work with other founders to make sure they're spending their time. You know, you asked me the question, how do you go from like zero to one where you don't have a network? <laughs> I suppose um, I suppose that's not strictly true because there were still people that put money into that first 200k that that had known me and mm-hmm. so I really can't like foster this illusion which we all have where everyone sees the best of us on social media and judges that and judges themselves against that but they're judging the worst of themselves privately mm-hmm. against the best of what everyone presents to the world I, I I started that 200k raise, which is the first raise that we, we ever did. And it was the first time we ever had what you call a hard close, which is where all the money comes in at the same time. Mm-hmm. Never did that again afterwards. It's so stressful. It was always a rolling close afterwards. And we started that week trying to raise a 200, knowing that our legal said, as long as we got 50, mm-hmm. we could close. And yeah. we kind of had a few plans, right? What do we do if we get 50? What do we do if we get 100, 150? These are fucking tiny amounts of money, right? Mm-hmm. Really, and I say that respectfully, it's a lot of money to a lot of people. But for a business whose primary goal is to eviscerate an awful Google shopping experience <laughs> and has had comments yeah. from VCs and investors to say, we're not considerably better than Google, who are a trillion dollar business, and. Mm-hmm. Um, it's laughable what we could achieve with such a tiny amount of money. But we went into that week with maybe about 150 committed. And that was from lots and lots of outreach, cold outreach on LinkedIn, going to networking events when they were starting to spin up because you know we had that kind of cycle of COVID of lockdown, then yep. you're out, then you're lockdown, then you're out. Meeting as many people, getting as many warm introductions as we could within our network. And we started on a Monday and I'm kind of thinking about doing the docs and then then the 150 went to like 100 because <laughs> like maybe the three people that made up the 50 fell out. Then I managed to get a little bit more and then a little bit out. And, and so we kind of had this yo-yo effect up until the Sunday night when um, I was sitting at my now business partner in Startup Lounge who who's a, he's an ex-MLA guy at like an HSBC, KPMG. So he's always been like my kind of go-to to help me with a lot of the ops and the legal stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and we're sitting in his kitchen and I'd got to, um, I'd 
got to like 181 grand and we wrote all the docs up for everyone and we packaged them all up we're ready to like send them out all out on mm-hmm. like DocuSign and email and that because you know you don't need to ink yep. it anymore and, uh, and I got a phone call from my old Amazon boss who said hi mate so I've just got off a plane I did promise you that I'm sorry I've been silent for the last few weeks I did say I'd support you if I could support you how much do you need and I said, um, I need 18,900 quid to do the round. Mm-hmm. And he went, okay, great, send the docs over, consider it done, congratulations, you've just got yourself a business that's valued at a million quid. You should be really proud of yourself. Well then. And so what that looks like, mm-hmm. is that looks like a lot of hard work and cold calling and hustling, and believe me, it was a lot over the, the, the couple of weeks leading up to that moment, but what closed it was a relationship that had been fostered over... Six, seven years. Even more than that, probably. Ten, ten years but plus. I, th- I think you need to... Um, when you're an entrepreneur, you make the best of what you have around you, right? Mm-hmm. And that, I think it always comes down to that. Because sometimes we think, oh, I need to do, have this degree from there. I need to be in this position in my life. Everything needs to be perfect. In reality, you just you need to get the job done, right? And sometimes that, that happens completely randomly like, like you're saying but ultimately it comes down to utilizing what you have if you have a really big network go out for your network you have a very small network reach out cold to investors you never know what's going to work but try and find a solution to the problem right well I, I think the only thing that you can be is you and the authentic you that's that's all you can mm-hmm. be I, I'd much rather people hated me for for who I am than love me for someone I'm not and and you can't fake I like yourself that. as an individual you can't fake yourself as an we're individual. definitely going to put this on TikTok it's brilliant <laughs> you can't fake yourself as an individual mm. and so because of that that means that sometimes the miles you walked around an expo or the chat you had over a beer or an event over a coffee mm-hmm. like ultimately you have to have some kind of level of faith and belief in yourself that good things are going to happen to good yep. people who do stuff right when you look after people ultimately that stuff should come back and it doesn't always come back it doesn't always and this this and we talk about like let's talk very specifically about startups and we we mentioned earlier about the businesses that have raised so much money there will be lots of people that have taken that money off the table made themselves very wealthy while shedding 20 to 40 percent of their staff who probably still have struggled to find jobs and have not been able to pay their mortgage or fallen out with their partner like bad stuff will happen but you have to kind of have the belief that hopefully if you keep doing the right thing ultimately you and the people around you are going to be looked after in the right way. Yeah, that's a good message right there. It's very motivational, isn't it? In regards to, I guess, the processes, because as Ricardo said last time, we had someone from Get Ahead that spoke about inner journeys, Mm -hmm. kind of fighting from it, going around the sports science, how you have to have that mentality to really get where you want, and you've kind of taken that mentality, plus combined it with a bit of karma as well. Good things happen to those who do good, and bad things happen to those who do bad. Well... Really we bad. hope so. Yeah, <laughs> see how it goes. Eventually, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Those who live by the sword tend to die by the sword, I think. So sooner or later, they're going to meet someone stronger and worse than them. And, you know. But let's, happier days now, let's talk about something else, which is quite fascinating. Your book, which is top, top seller on Amazon. Uh, I am so, bestseller number three in the beer so category. Bestseller, that's it, yeah. Uh, so tell us all about this book and uh, 
I mean, what's 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 behind the book? So yeah, it's, it's certainly sold enough for me to be able to update my LinkedIn profile, which is <laughs> which is key. Once mm-hmm. you you know, I think I've got the trifecta now of ex Amazon TEDx speaker as well, and uh-huh. now Amazon mm-hmm. best-selling author. Um, it certainly looks good. Mm-hmm. Um, my my book, which I wrote over the course of about three or four weeks uh, this summer, is. Um, is a collection of the last 16 years and another example of how what looks like something that is done quite quickly and like gosh that's quite amazing how have you done a book in like no time at all actually it's a result of a lot of hard work that you don't see that happens behind like underneath the waterline mm-hmm. and so more specifically um 16 years ago uh when i was in my 20s which is <laughs> an awful long time ago I ran a pub crawl for my birthday. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. I put together a list of 10 different pubs and we went around 10 different pubs and everyone said, that was great, let's do that next year. Mm-hmm. And so we did. And so this year was the 16th year that I, I organised my annual historic pub crawl through London. <clears throat> and I always get a mix of people, you know, my family, like my mum comes along to mm-hmm. it, like work colleagues come to it people I used to work with many years ago it's a really good mix because it's always spread across 10 or 15 different pubs mm-hmm. it's a nice long route you people can kind of dip in and out of it and see people as and mm-hmm. as as they wish and so over recent years I started to sort of compile like a booklet right mm-hmm. like here's the route here's the facts here's some information on the pubs and here's the interesting landmarks and the iconic landmarks that we're going past. And this was the first year that I thought, gosh, this is quite a lot of work. <laughs> I'm quite busy. <laughs> um, I wonder if I've got all of the other routes. Mm-hmm. And I managed to find 12 of them. Oh, nice. Okay. And so it turns out, when you're not optimising all of your research to fit into the smallest possible font so that it only fits on three <laughs> sides because... You know, it's expensive to like print it all out for mm-hmm. everyone, and so I only ever want it to be on two pages. It turns out when you actually put something in readable in a proper format, and then you check that all the pubs are alive, and you start writing out the route again, well, that became a book, and that was thirteen <laughs> nice. routes. Uh, it's like three hundred and ten pages long. If you order a copy on Amazon, okay. like it's a proper book. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's a perfect example of something that you know would be it was years of reading like 16 years I've been running a pub crawl mm-hmm. three of them I can't even remember where they were now I can't find a book because who knows it was that long ago but I pulled them in together in a book I launched it myself through Amazon Publishing which is fantastic that you mm-hmm. can have that facility now to write something and then publish it one of my friends who's a, a designer who I, I also do some work with um, who I've known since we were 12 years old, so we've known each other for over 30 years, he designed the cover for me. Mm-hmm. And so I had a proper cover, a proper book on Amazon Publishing. And then as a way to promote that, um, you know, the common temptation would be to go into like 
Google and Amazon cost per click advertising and try and capture everyone who's in the market for historic pub crawls. I took the opposite mindset, which is to create advertising and brand building, which in theory lasts forever. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm currently in the process of going through around about 120 pubs on a pub crawl and filming a review awful. of that every single one of those awful. pubs. It's, it's, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> it really is. It's really super, super tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I will give you a spoiler alert or like to lift behind the scenes. I don't drink a full pint in all of the pubs <laughs> I go to. Yeah, we cover about 20 pubs in a day. It well, would be yeah. like really, like the video quality would be going downhill quite quickly. Although the interest would kind of spike, right? But <laughs> the last video would be quite interesting to see. Uh, I must admit, I toyed with the idea of recording all of the pubs under that guise mm-hmm. to see what would happen at the end because you are right, they would be quite funny. But. Um, Funny doesn't necessarily make good informed content no, that's for people true. to make a good assessment as to whether it's a good pub or not to go to. And I didn't want to, um, I wanted to make sure I did the pubs justice, mm-hmm. right? They're good old historic pubs in interesting places. They're real old pubs, like they're proper places to go and have a nice drink in. The last thing we needed was me to kind of be like 12 pints in, <laughs> trying to have a conversation with someone whilst I'm trying to look at a camera and film that as well. It just wouldn't work. Although, great, I think that'll be awesome to watch. So it's like that show ages ago, Man versus Food, right? Yes. We, no one was concerned if the food was good. We're just concerned if the guy is going to explode with food. Or, so. Well, let's let's de-risk. Um, yeah. Let's de-risk on me having to worry about running a single TikTok channel for that, mm-hmm. and we'll set up a second one. And you can do the drinking. I'm not. I'm not see a big which drinker. one works. <laughs> I'm not a big drinker. No, no, I'm even, horrible. Even funnier if you're not a big drinker. We'll see how you get. We'll see how you last. At the that end. is very true, though. It'll make a good content, though. Um, Thomas, if people want to find you, how can they? Because there's a lot of things happening. So please tell us where they can find you for Owl Tree, for the startup uh, lounge, mm-hmm. and also for the book. So please promote yeah, yourself. The, the easiest place to find me is is on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you search for Thomas Fosby. You can find me. Um, you can find my and then I use I generally use my name across like most of my other social media. So mm-hmm. I'm either Thomas Vosper or Thomas Vosper on like LinkedIn, Instagram, or you can follow my TikTok channel as well. Okay, sounds good, Bobby. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Really enjoyed uh, speaking with you. Thank you.